Welcome to another episode of the Magnus and Marcus podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, the head cross-country coach at the University of Houston and the author of The Science of Running. I'm joined by John Marcus, the head coach of High Performance West and all-around running philosopher. Welcome, John. It's good to be back to give the people what they want. That's all we do. All we try and do, at least. So... This week, another hopefully fun-filled, interesting topic. Um, this one we're going with is called False Positives and Inaccurate Negatives. And what we're talking about is when you're looking at races or workouts is when you have uh, one go one direction and one go the opposite direction, right? So false positive would be killing workouts then comes into the races and just falls apart a little bit. Um, or the opposite way around, you're having horrible training, you're thinking bad things are going to happen, your confidence is maybe down, but then you step to the starting line and you you have an athlete absolutely kill it. I mean, I know from uh, from my perspective, I've had my fair share of these, so um, why don't we jump right in, John, and you can start us off with your thoughts. I think, you know, first and foremost is the false positive. You know, we tend to, as coaches and athletes, expend a lot of energy into how workouts went, how fast was I running these reps, was I getting, am I getting better, am I getting faster, is it getting perceptibly easier, you know, and trying to basically grasp and analyze the information that might not necessarily have a linear correlative effect to your racing you know um i think a lot of times we think if i'm able to do xyz in training consistently that means i'm gonna get to race day and it's all just gonna magically transfer over and that's the gray area that's where the art and science of coaching and also competing um kind of come into play so you know i've seen a lot of times myself it's like, man, workouts are going splendid. This person's really progressing in a very linear or, you know, periodized way that we want to see them. And they feel really good. Like, oh, coach, feeling great, coach. Oh, coach, yeah, I just ripped that out. I just felt fluid, coach. And then they get to the race. They just don't have the bullets, you know, when it counts to really make their moves. Or they, they, they fall at the pace early, freak out, and DNF. You know, I, I mean, going to Peyton Jordan this weekend, you know, watch, last past weekend watching a lot of these amazing – Time trial races, too, can also mean they're false positives as well. So you go to Peyton Jordan, and Steve and I have talked about this many times, or any perfect setting for distance running on the track, and you run this amazing outlier mark. Oh, I PR'd by 40 seconds in the 10K. I PR'd by 15 seconds in the 5K. And I've, I've had athletes who have done that many a time. That's why we go to Peyton Jordan, I mean, to get that type of experience. But then you go to, if you're a college coach, the regional meet where it's hot and humid, and the athlete runs two minutes slower in the 10K than they did in the at, at Palo Alto. Or you go to the NCAA championship and it's a uh, you know, sit and kick race and they run very, very slow comparative to that you know, fast time trial mark. And they couldn't kick and they get beat and they went ranked in you know, fifth in the country and didn't even become an All-American. So you have to be careful of that too. And it's like the more and more I go and watch at Peyton Jordan, the less and less I get excited about overall what happened unless you see like an American record or a national record. Like that's cool. That's fun to see those things go down. But someone ran really fast and ran a PR and like that's cool. But I don't know what that means because down the road that person, 
you know, might be a non-factor when it comes to your championship meet, you know, especially for the pros. It's like right now we have two months, over two months until the Olympic trials. A lot can happen in two months in training and your preparations. And just because this person ran Boncos, they had a Peyton Jordan, does not guarantee that they'll be there vying to make the Olympic team come July. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think it comes back to our tendency to want to be almost uh, scientific and mathematical. I know we talked about what is a scientific method last podcast, but we have this tendency to equate workouts to races and think that there's this direct correlation effect that you you mentioned. And, you know, I think it it transcends all sports. If I was thinking about, for instance, um, I'll bring our throwing friends into the conversation for a little bit. If I was, I was to think about throw, training for throwing or strength and conditioning for throwing, you know, if you read all, uh, a lot of the East European literature, like the, the bonder trucks of the world, for those who know that, um, they're obsessed with this idea of transfer. Right. They even have like percentages on how much certain exercise transfer to the race or the competition, the throw. Sorry. And I think that that highlights it in that field. And it's the same in our field that like we want to have these workouts that are predictive that transfer exactly. It's why everyone and their mother does like eight to 10 by 400s with a minute rest. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> if you're if you're a miler, yes. like that's what you do. And that's been done since, you know, nineteen fifty at least when, when Roger Bannister was, was doing something very similar. Right? And that's just been ingrained into us that like, oh, if you do this workout, like you're gonna run this pace. And I think a lot of times that creates this this uh false positive effect where it's like, All right, like we've been killing this training and it should directly transfer. And what I, I like to tell athletes is that sometimes your training takes a while to uh, to almost absorb and show itself. So you can be really fit. You can your fitness can show that you can run a four minute mile or a you know a fifteen minute five k for a female. Um, but you not you might not be able to express that fitness until your body allows you to, or until you put yourself in position to. So there's two different concepts there. And I think that's where sometimes you get these, these false positives and practices practice. It's easy to display fitness, but it's not, it doesn't directly translate to race performance. And for it to translate, you need this ability to express that fitness. And sometimes that takes rest. Sometimes that takes absorbing the training. Sometimes it takes putting yourself in a psychological state where you can, you can take yourself to the next level. But I think it's one of those things that we have to be, be uh, duly aware of. Right. I agree. There is a delayed impact of, uh, you know, fitness or performance enhancement from training sessions. And I think everyone's looking for the exact timeline. Like, how long does this take? If I do speed work with an athlete, how long does it take for them to absorb it and then be able to express it in a race? Or if I do, you know, aerobic reps or tempo runs, how how quickly are they going to get a stimulus and a benefit? And the answer, like everything we always say on here, is depends. (laughs) You know, it really, it really depends. And I think that's where, as a, you know, curious coach, and a um, coach who is really on top of and aware 
keenly aware of their athletes, you you have a little bit of an edge compared to a cookie cutter approach where you just say, here's this periodization plan. We're going to start with this big base and then get sharp and blah, 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 because that's what you found online or that's what's in a book and the numbers and equations are nice and neat and make sense to you. And I think we have to get over that type of um, planning bias because you have to be able to throw that plan out the window immediately once you see, uh, you know, different expressions in practice from an athlete. I always tell the elite athletes I work with, and again, these are very fit, very capable, seasoned people who've been running very fast for many years. It depends on if a stimulus is the thing that's kind of your bread and butter or something that's very hard for you and can have anywhere between a six to 28 day absorption window. So the harder stuff takes longer for people to absorb. So I tend to like to do the stuff that's hard for them. So like for 800 meter runners, more aerobic VO2, 1500 meter type reps earlier on in the season or preparation cycles, because it's just going to take longer for them to really get the impact of that. Or with the, you know, 5k, 10k half marathon type people, I want them to do fast, speedy stuff from early, 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 because that stuff takes a long time for them to absorb. Now, as we start to get to the middle of a preparation cycle or towards the end, we start to balance out the stuff they're not good at with the stuff they're, they're, they're really good at or they enjoy their, what I call their home, the you know energy system home that they live in. Um, and then as we get closer to the end of their training prep and more towards championship time of year, we pretty much focus a lot on their bread and butter. Like if you're an hair mirror runner, man, we're doing 200s because they make you feel good. You know, if you're if you're a, a you know a long and strong type of distance runner, we're doing aerobic miles. You know, with at threshold pace with one to you know one and a half minutes rest because they just make you feel good. And I think that's where you need to know as a coach where your athletes' you know strengths and weaknesses lie because then that's how you kind of. Um, pepper in the training but just to say everyone has to go in this progression is foolhardy because yeah they might get really good at expressing in practice um, understanding or betterment at this type of workout but how does that you know work for them is it something that's really going to make them better on race day and you have to remember if you're a high school coach or a collegiate coach working with you know developing athletes who might not be fully bought in might not be super fit might be coming back from large layoffs it's going to take a on the longer side of the range for them to absorb that impact like the, what i always say you know the fit get fitter and you know as you're when you get fit the more you do and the more you quickly you absorb it because it's just a positive cascade but then when you're out of shape man it takes a lot to get in shape and there's you know it's a bell curve it's kind of like you have to like trot up this hill this bell curve and then all of a sudden you get to the top of it and then you go down the other side and you just have all this momentum where anything and everything, as long as you stay healthy, gets you better. And you're always trying to find when and where that happens for an athlete. And hopefully you have the timing to do it in a season. Like I was telling one coach this weekend, one of my athletes, she's Nicole Blood, has had a very long layoff from racing. And she's finally like kind of looking like Nicole Blood, you know, the ninth perennial, you know, All-American at U of O and uh, prodigy, high school prodigy. I'm like, we might just hit this right on time. Like, I'm like, we don't have any more room to spare. I mean, I'd like two more weeks of 
training. But I think, you know, with her goal trying to, you know, be prepared to can be competitive at the Olympic trials, she just might squeak that deadline out. <laughs> so, because <laughs> it's all starting to come get together for her, but for a long time there, it wasn't. And I think that's also the thing too, you have to remember is these inaccurate negatives. Like, you know, going back to Nicole earlier this year in 2016, January, February, March, you, things weren't going so hot. Races weren't going really well. Workouts were pretty solid. But then the races were just not indicative of what she was able to accomplish in a workout session or multiple workout sessions in succession. And then she'd lay an egg in all these races and we're just like scratching her head like, huh, what? Mm-hmm. That, that, that makes no sense. You were like easily crushing workouts. You know, your volume has been good. You've been in the weight room. Like you're recovering from all this. You feel good. You don't feel exhausted. But yet she's getting into races and it just there, there's no transfer. And I think that's true when you have to just be like, okay, look. Let's let's really look at the body of work. Let's look at everything here. Do we need to get worried? Do we need to start freaking out? Do we need to like you know change gears or do we stay the course? And that's a hard thing to really assess and respond to. And I'd be curious, Steve, to kind of hear your thoughts on how you deal with those inaccurate negatives and either completely change course or stay the course. Yeah, you know it's it's hard to go through. I mean, I think I think. Um you know, we, we've been talking for a little bit, but I, I think one of the athletes this year that's demonstrated both false positives and inaccurate negatives is a similar athlete, Natasha Rogers, who also had a crazy long layoff from running, right? And I think when you have those long layoffs, you don't have as, as tight of a connection between, um, between the transfer of good training and good racing. There's too many things that are, are almost unknowns that the athlete has to get through and for instance uh with her a couple weeks ago she had a rough rough mount sack race in the 5k and like that was a a negative but we felt after coming off some sickness and stuff that it was just kind of a blip on the radar and that she was in significantly better shape and she came back at stanford and ran in a pretty hot 5k and ran um, pretty solid and looked good and took second in her heat so it was one of those that was a situation where like she was panicked after after Mount Sack a little bit, but we just stood, we just took a step back and said, "Hey, like you're making progress on everything you've done, um, so we're gonna stay the course here and just kind of keep things going and keep flowing along." Um, but you know, when it when when that decision comes up to me, it's about assessing the situation, right? It's knowing whether you're what I call absorbing the training or not. It's, is all the, is all the training parameters pointing towards improved, improved competency in the areas we're looking to improve? So are you getting better on your tempo runs? Are you getting better on your repeat miles or whatever your key indicators are? And not only are you getting better in them, but are you feeling better sometimes? So sometimes the, the paces might stay the same or the efforts might stay the same and it won't improve. But that's that feeling, that sensation, that rhythm is coming back. And if that's coming around, then normally my gut instinct is to be like, Hey, let's stay. Let's wait. Let's see if this absorbs and like give it time to kind of coalesce and come together. Now, occasionally I think you run into the problem where Things are going pretty well on the false positive side, but it's still just not translating. And those are the situations where if, 
if you're beating your head against the wall and you're continually doing this and you're getting you're getting to where it's almost becoming a psychological emotional issue then i think it it benefits the athlete to at least change gears for a little bit right so if they're a 5k 10k athlete maybe switching the stimulus to more of a 1500 style just for a little bit to get them out of that kind of you know grind that that can kind of get frustrating and i think sometimes just stepping away um is a way to change change the stimulus up and get keep things fresh cuz i think it's it's um it's almost like it's a psychological as well, as well as a physiological issue and in order to keep uh keep them fresh and keep things interested and more importantly keep them excited we have to occasionally shift things around like if i could sum it up my dealing with false positives and uh, inaccurate negatives is what do i need to do to keep them like hooked up excited and ready to ready and enjoying their races yeah racing is what counts you know and so often now in this you know bombarding social you know universe that lives on your iphone or your smart device whatever you see all these people like oh man i had the best workout ready for the ready to go or crush this crush that and you feel like you're not keeping up with joneses and that tends to be where I just put my head in the sand like an ostrich and just say, I don't care what anyone's doing. I care what we're doing. I care how we're doing it. And I think that's where you have to not um, create artificial deadlines on yourself saying, well, if we want to run, you know, as a male, 28 minutes for 10K, you need to do 28-minute 10K runner workouts. And here are the workouts that other 28-minute 10K runners have done. And you need to replicate that. You know, that's walking down a very dark path because now you're creating this sense of um, judgment on what you're doing and either it's going well or it's not going well as according to your plan. And then you start to freak out because it, it's not going well or maybe it's going too well and you start to freak out in the positive light. Like, oh, man, I got this. Oh, oh, I got this. And then you go into the race and you're like, oh, that's a lot harder than I thought it'd be. And, you know, good training or best training progresses as the athlete progresses in their um, you know, realistic uh, manner of absorption. So, yeah, you might ha- we might we all have these deadlines of championship races or qualifi- qualification for championship races, and sometimes you cut it close by being in showing that fitness and expressing that fitness that runs that mark. But at the end of the day, you have to define what you're, you're preparing your athletes to do, and I think that's where we kind of lose. Um, side of it with the time factor so much like you know another false positive is people running really fast and it's like well what's really fast really fast is a big pr for them or one of the top times at their you know level competition whether it's high school college or professional or post-collegiate and then this burden of okay i ran this fast and there's this expectation that we have right that throughout the course of a season you should get faster Mm -hmm. on the track as the season goes along and every race should be a little bit better than the previous race. But that's very hard to do with, say, like the 800-meter runner. You know, I mean, you're already it's like running at a really high speed of play for your you know, better 800-meter runner. So if you're a two-flat female 800-meter runner, to get a better – and you run like that in early May, like it's going to be tough to <laughs> keep doing that and keep running faster every time you run at eight, you know. And then all of a sudden what happens is, oh, I ran 203. I suck now. Like – 
you don't want that because that's an inaccurate negative. Like if you ran too flat three weeks ago, you're still a too flat runner. It's just you were in a two or three race, and that's or you just ran two or three for a variety of reasons. And that's where, as the coach, you need to be counselor and be really on point with why and know if it was your fault from a training and prescription standpoint, it was something beyond your control, or if you're just an athlete just being a butthead and not racing. <laughs> and sometimes that happens too. It's like I'll tell athletes like, you're just a butthead. You just didn't race. When it got hard, you just checked out. Like hold them accountable. So you know those are those are kind of three lenses I look through about whose fault it was or if it was no fault involved and it's just out of our control. Yeah, I mean, I think that's number one, right? When you do assessment, you have to figure that out. Um, and I think that, you know, we love to have nice, neat little answers. You know, one of the things that is great about people is we want an explanation for everything. We do really, really, really badly if there is no explanation. That's why we come up, or that's why throughout history we've come up with, like, ghosts and goblins and explanations for crazy stuff that happened before we had scientific explanations for it, right? We had this human need to to explain things. And I think the same thing is true with, with running and racing, right? So if we have a bad workout, it's really easy to have this bias where it's like, oh, it's because of A, B, or C that we did. And sometimes it is, right? Sometimes there's a readily explanation and that we didn't back off enough or you know, you're tired going into it or we, you know, we missed the peak a little bit and that's fine. Like that's what you need to figure out as a coach. But sometimes also there's no logical explanation. Now there might be an answer to it, but there's no explanation that we can figure out as coaches. Sometimes athletes just have really bad races and it just happens. You know, my, my go-to, um, for this is I always tell athletes about this experience I had where myself and my good friend and teammate at the time when I was in grad school, Moses Joseph, who's 145-800 runner, two-time Olympian, we ran, we went down to this, uh, this mile at Furman, the Blue Shoes Mile. We were both in really good shape, you know, low four-minute shape, I'd say. We run this race. We go through 1,200 and I think 301. And then we battle each other, uh, in the end and I barely outkick Moses, you know, for our, and we were, I don't remember what we placed in the race, but I remember outkicking Mo. And, uh, the only problem with it is I outkicked him with a 75 second last lap and he ran, (laughs) he ran 76. It is the slowest lap, last lap of a mile I've ever run. And we were both trying, we were both kicking, right? But, you know, when we got done with that race, we just turned to each other and we just started laughing. We're like, did that really happen? Did we just battle running like, you know, a 19 second last hundred or something like ridiculous? Like, that's what happened. And, you know, it was it was insane. It was stupid. It was ridiculous. There was no explanation for it. Right. And I think, you know, a couple of weeks later, he ran a really fast 800 and I ran some good road races afterwards and we were in fine shape. It's just for whatever reason, like that day, it was just one of those laughable, uh, laughable races. And I think that happens sometimes. 
And, you know, as a coach, you can drive yourself nuts and be like, oh, well, you know, was our warm up off or did we do too much the day before or blah, blah, blah. And sometimes it's good to have that assessment, but sometimes it's like, you know what? Just chalk that one up. Like that was just one of those fluke days where you're the pro and you're shooting baskets and you just, you just hit the rim and you can barely, you airball it. Right. So I think, I think that that's one thing that people need to keep in perspective. But the other thing, the other thing that I think is important as a coach to do is when we're looking at, at, at bad races is our job is a perspective giver. Like, when you're an athlete and you have either a good or bad race, you are emotionally attached to it, right? You're either psyched and thrilled through it, through your mind after a good race, or you're down in the dumps after a bad race. And as a coach in both situations, it's our job to step back, show the athlete the bigger picture that, Hey, like, yeah, that sucked, but it's not the end of the world. You're still in good shape. You're going to run well. This is why. Remember, remember A, B, and C that you've done leading up to this or in a good race. Hey, that was really good, but this is one race. We need to duplicate it over and over again. You're going to have to come back next week and do the same thing. So don't get too high, right? My high school coach, Gerald Stewart, used to call it, don't get too high on the highs or too low on the lows. And I think that's one of our jobs to deal with these like false positives and inaccurate negatives as a coach. Exactly. The number one, you know, mistake I made when I was younger coach, I also see colleagues making it now is someone's looking really good in a session or, oh man, they're just floating and they're just moving and they look great. And like, this is effortless coach and I'm ready to go. And you're like, okay, yeah, let's do one more rep. Let's go faster. Or let's go faster on these next two. Or like, okay, just go out, go out, go out. And they, and they might crush that session. Like, okay, now I'm ready. And if you have someone like that psychologically who needs that positivity and positive reinforcement in practice, then by all means, you know, do that. But that's a very rare breed. 90% of your athletes will do that and then go on, go into a race on this, um, false cloud of confidence and then all of a sudden it doesn't come easy like it did in that workout it wasn't just right there in front of you and you know man it was so easy to run fast you know a week ago what happened coach and we have to remember we're just human beings and we're inaccurate you know incomplete works of you know art that are always kind of being shaved and sculpted and you know um polished every single day and some days are great and but most days are just lukewarm. I mean, that's honestly just what life is. I mean, how many times you as a person woke up and think, oh, man, this is like the greatest day ever. It's always it's, everything great happened today. No, most days are just like lukewarm, not too bad, not too good, just kind of solid. You know, like, yeah, some things, you know, this and some days just sucked. You woke up with a headache and you don't know why. It's like, yes, yeah, migraine all day. I don't know why. And, you know, didn't go out and party hard last night and do anything. I just ugh, I don't feel good. And those things happen to athletes because they're human beings. And going back to, you know, the throwing um, perspective where to think these activities have a, you know, impactful direct transfer all the time is a fallacy. It's, it goes back to the body of work concept where if you've been training diligently for a long period of time and you've had no crazy highs, but no crazy lows and you just kind of been real steady. And you keep, you keep the level head, you know, you kind of 
backed off when you need to back off. You went hard for just as long as you need to go hard, but you were kind of Goldilocks about it. Not too much, not too little, just right. That's when I get the most excited as a coach because I'm like, they're going to break out any minute. When I, when I have an athlete who has kind of been Goldilocks about it for a long period of time, like, oh, any minute. And then that's your job as the coach is to get them excited and get them motivated and get them, you know, pumped up about being able to accomplish a feat of, you know, of toughness or competitive prowess in a race. And that's more where you shift from physiological type coaching to more emotional and mental coaching. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a great point. I think that, you know, that, that kind of good consistent work is like a theme of ours. It's, <laughs> it's if you get, get that kind of average good work over a long period of time, like good things happen. But I think it's the insecurity of both athletes and coaches who like have to prove themselves to get that transfer, right? Because they have this idea that that's it comes back to this mathematical idea that everything that we do in workouts is going to directly translate to some race performance. You know, the best athletes I've had, whether on the college or professional scene, have been those who know who have figured out their own little limits of when they need to push it and when they need to, you know, hold in the reins. You know, one of the, one of my rules of thumb is almost always like if an athlete has a huge major breakthrough is that we need to chill out the next week, right? It's, it's not time to push forward for more and more because it's like, Oh man, now they went from a 405 miler to a 358 miler. So now we have to train like a 358 miler. So now all our workout paces get, you know, X percentage faster on the, on our charts. It's like, no, no, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's what got you there. That, what got yeah. you there? Just keep doing what got you there. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and I think that's, that's one of the things that, that really kills people when they maybe see a false positive in a race where someone just, lights aligned you know everything aligned and freaking they kill it and you know now it's like oh we got to take it to the next level and it it just goes bad you know one, yeah. one of uh my best college kid brian barraza like one of the things i love about watching him in racing is is there will be days where he'll get to the last last rep and he's be, he'll just walk over to me and he'll be like i'm just gonna keep this chill and i'll be like okay and then there'll be other days where it'll be like, I'm just going to crank it down a little bit. I'll be like, okay, you know, and he just has this attunement where he's like, oh, I, you know, he's figured out when he wants to push and feel good a little bit and when he wants to chill out and just kind of get in the solid, consistent work that he needs to. And I think that like establishing that as both a coach and an athlete is imperative to long-term success. You know, I, you nailed it on the head without a doubt. I don't think we need to belabor the point. I mean, I know usually Steve wraps up a podcast, but I'm going to take the lead on this one. <laughs> I'm going to say it's short and sweet for a reason, you know, um, relative to other ones we've been done because you, you, you just need to know as a coach and an athlete that it's about everything you do, not one thing you do. And I think sometimes we focus on the sexy, fun thing that is workout reps and paces and this and that and we forget about you know all the other things we do in a block of training i mean if workouts and such are 20 percent, yeah they might have an 80 percent impact but still that other 80 percent that has only the 20 percent impact still has an impact 
we got to remember that. So, you know, with that, I, I got no other words on this topic, Steve. It, I'm letting you wrap this up, man. I don't have to do my <laughs> normal job. So I'm good I know, with dude, that. I'm out of my element here. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, as always, feel free to, you know, give Steve or I a shout out. Um, you know, always, you know, keep thinking, keep creating and keep trusting not only your gut as a coach, but also the feedback of your athletes. And, you know, if you listen to what matters, then you tend to prepare the athletes and be able to get them capable to execute when it matters. Bingo. They give you all the information you need. Just pay attention. Be mindful. All right. We're out.